Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hair in your food, and hair on the creature tearing you apart. This week's episode of Darkness Prevails is a hairy one. We've got some allegedly real and terrifying encounters with Sasquatch, plus some fast food night shift horror stories that will make sure you never miss your first fast food job. Enjoy these allegedly true scary stories, and be sure to send me your creepy experiences at darkstories.org so I can narrate them on the show. Also, check out EerieCast.com if you need more horrifying content in your life. Now, let's begin. Bigfoot? From Ringo. I've lived in California my whole life. I'm an avid houndsman meaning I hunt animals using hound dogs. I hunt fox, raccoons, and I used to hunt bears, up until 2012, when it became illegal in California. I was never afraid of the woods, never believed in any myths or legends, and I still don't. But one thing is for sure. On July 7th of 1998, I have no explanation for what in the world my dogs put up a tree. It was incredibly hot in the summer, and going through the thick manzanitas and brush usually forced us to wear long sleeves, so during summer we hunted at night. It was the usual, get up at 2.30, eat, and get the dogs fed and ready to go. I loaded the dogs in the truck and headed to my favorite spot. It was the roughest country around, so no one really hunted it, making the bears quite abundant in there. You may leave your truck at 5 in the morning to go to a tree and not get back till 8 in the afternoon. Anyway, I got up into the mountains. I put the telemetry tracking collars on my dogs so I could know where they were. After about 45 minutes of driving around, I noticed the dogs could smell something. I figured it was just a cold bear track, so I turned them loose and taunted them to run it. They walked the track for about an hour before they took off barking like bats out of heck. I could tell that they had caught up to it and were on its tail. The race was over quickly and the dogs were treed, meaning whatever they were chasing stopped and climbed a tree, and the dogs will sit at the tree and bark at it. I could hear them deep in the canyon, so I packed my gear and headed in. About halfway there, my heart skipped a beat. I could hear something clear as day screaming and roaring like an African lion. So I got there as soon as I could, the whole way listening to this deafening sound that sent chills down my spine. I finally got there. This was one of the biggest trees I'd ever seen, and whatever was up there was causing it to shake back and forth, and the yelling and roaring hadn't stopped. Now, the number one rule of hunting with dogs at night is don't turn on your light at the tree, because whatever's up there will come down and run. It was no bear. Bears don't sound like that and can't shake a tree like that. And bears are supposed to be the biggest things out here. Or so I thought. After some thinking, I said screw it and leashed up my dogs and headed back up the hill. I never shined my light up there to see what it was. The whole time I was on my way back, I could hear this thing still screaming and roaring. I was a good five minutes from the truck when I noticed from its yelling that whatever this is, it was moving towards me fast. 
I ran to the truck, loaded the dogs up, and by now this thing was so close I could hear it stomping through the woods. I got in my truck and punched it. The entire way out of the woods I could hear it yelling and roaring off the road in the canyon. It was so close, I could have hit it with a rock. The scariest thing was that it was keeping up with my truck until eventually I hit pavement and sped up to 95 miles per hour. I never slowed until I got to town. Like I said, I never believed in legends or myths and I still don't, but that was no bear that chased me and my dogs that night. I'm not saying it's Bigfoot, but I'm also not saying it isn't. Bigfoot in Utah from Anonymous Last summer, I went camping in the High Uinta Mountains with my two brothers-in-law and my father-in-law. Due to COVID and my wife and I recently having a baby, it was the first time I'd really gotten out in a long time. I'd recently purchased a new, well, to me, Toyota Land Cruiser and a new hammock and wanted to test them out camping. I don't want to give specifics to where I was camping as it's a bit of a family secret. However, let's say it's remote. It's about 2.5 hours of a drive from where I live in the valley. Once we arrived at our campsite, we unpacked our gear. We were in an area with mature pine trees and aspens. It's beautiful and a cool 65 degrees or so in the summer. There was still runoff from all the melting snow and my new vehicle was super muddy which I didn't mind. We circled our vehicles around the camp to give us a little bit of privacy. Not that we were planning on seeing anyone anyway. I decided to set up my hammock from the top of my Toyota and attach it to an adjacent tree. It was so high, I needed to climb up onto the vehicle just to get in my hammock. I like to set it super high as sometimes it slides down the tree while you're sleeping and you end up with your back rubbing on some bushes or rocks. My hammock was probably a good six and a half feet in the air. I insulated my hammock as it usually gets cold out at night. I also stuffed my sleeping bag in there. Once I finished with my bed, I began getting the fire ready. I'd finished before the rest of my family had. I got a fire going in no time and began to roast some hot dogs when the rest of my family came to relax with me. My father-in-law had accidentally cut himself with the axe while cutting wood and actually drove himself back into town to get some stitches. We expected him to come back, but we weren't sure how long that would be exactly. Despite that incident, we had a nice night in the camp. It was relatively bright outside due to it being a full moon. You don't realize how much a full moon can light up those woods. It's crazy. As we were getting ready for bed, Without my father-in-law, a white Silverado pulled up. A park ranger got out and approached us. He was friendly. He wanted to know if we'd seen anyone else since we had set up camp. We told him he was the only person we'd seen for miles. He let us know that a camp a couple of miles away had reported a homeless man going through their stuff and throwing things at them. The ranger was trying to find him. Not only that, but it's pretty rugged terrain and it's possible he could get hurt out here. We told him we'd keep our eyes peeled and didn't think much of it. Besides, we were in bear and moose country and I had my 4570 lever action rifle in my Toyota. That should take down any animal in North America. I felt pretty secure. Not only that, but I had camped in these mountains my entire life and had experienced all of the wildlife including a bull moose charge and a friendly visit with a bear who tried to take some fish I'd got. Anyway, we all climbed into our hammocks. As I lay in my hammock, I could make out where my two brothers were sleeping fairly well due to the full moon. I heard one of them snoring almost right away. It wasn't long before I drifted to sleep too, enjoying the sounds of the wind through the trees and the rocking of my hammock. I awoke in the middle of the night because I felt something hit me. I searched my hammock and found what it was. It was a pine cone. One end of my hammock was attached to a pine tree after all, so I fell back asleep. But then a second pine cone hit me. 
This time, it hit my back. Since I was in my hammock, I could feel it pretty easily. At this point, I was suspicious that my brothers-in-law were playing a prank on me. I peeked out of my hammock and found both of them sleeping in their hammocks. I looked the other direction away from camp into the woods, but I didn't see anything. I was a little bit spooked as I thought about what the park ranger mentioned earlier. I jumped out of my hammock and opened the door to my vehicle to get my rifle. I was gonna cuddle it tonight, just in case. I honestly felt stupid that I was that scared, but I figured it wouldn't hurt anyway. At this point, I also realized my father-in-law wasn't back yet. This made me a little worried that maybe he just went home instead of driving all the way back out here. Or maybe he got stuck in the mud. I considered waking my brothers up, but decided against it. I still heard one of them snoring. I crawled back into my sleeping bag, this time with my rifle, and tried to go back to sleep. I would drift off only to hear a noise that made my heart stop. What was it? Was it branches breaking, footsteps, or just the wind? I made a mental note that I didn't really want to sleep overnight in a hammock again. Next time, I'd bring a tent. It seems at least slightly more secure. Just then, I noticed headlights coming up the trail, and the distinct sound of my father-in-law's Jeep Cherokee in four-wheel drive. He'd made it back. When he got out of the vehicle, he walked right up to my hammock, not expecting me to be awake. I greeted him and asked how the hospital was. But he seemed panicked. He told me when he pulled up to camp, he noticed what he thought was a man in a ghillie suit, creeping away from the camp. He knew I had a tendency to put on my ghillie suit and prank them, so he was checking to see if it was me. But he was freaked out to find it wasn't me this time or any of his sons. I felt a chill, and I thought about the pine cones and the sounds I'd heard that I brushed off. We were worried it was the homeless man. Was he crazy? Homicidal? Or just liked messing with people? Well, we made it through the night unscathed and without further incident. But I didn't really sleep much after that. We stopped at the ranger station the next morning and found the same park ranger there finishing his shift. We told him the homeless man had found his way over to us and he was wearing a ghillie suit. The park ranger's blood left his face and I thought that was weird. It was just a homeless dude after all, right? What's the big deal? Well, at this point, it had dawned on me that perhaps it wasn't a homeless man at all. Rather, a Bigfoot. The Uintas are teeming with legends of Bigfoot, and the legendary Skinwalker Ranch isn't super far from where we were. Strangely, the ranger didn't have much to say after that. I didn't tell my father-in-law what I thought, as he had mentioned to me a while earlier that he doesn't believe in Bigfoot and thinks it's foolish. So I didn't want to look dumb, but to me, it really seems rather Bigfooty. A Canadian Horror Story From Sugarlump When I was little, my entire family would rent a huge cottage every summer in Halliburton, Ontario. It was a week-long family reunion that was super fun for us kids, but now that I'm an adult, I shudder at the idea of being crammed in one house for a week with 20 other people. When I was about 10, we rented a cottage on a lake that bordered some protected land, so there were no cottages on the opposite side of the lake, just a really tall hill. The lake was not very wide, so the hill was quite close in view. It was so serene and beautiful. A few days into our stay, there was a collective effort to go golfing for the afternoon. My grandmother and I were the only two people who stayed behind, as we relished the idea of peace and quiet, and to avoid golf. My grandma decided to take a nap on the couch while I sat on the dock listening to the water while doodling in my sketchbook. Just as described by so many outdoor paranormal events, everything went silent, extra silent. One moment you could hear the birds, insects, and trees rustling, the next, it was as if I had gone deaf, but the water continued to gently touch the wood of the dock. I'm going to sound crazy in the next part. My head shot up to a series of loud booming noises coming from across the lake. 
Just like in a cartoon when a giant walks, you feel and hear a boom, 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 left foot, then right foot, and repeat. I could see trees rattling high up on the hill, and then out of nowhere, a bone-chilling shriek came thundering down at me. I don't know how to describe it, other than to say it wasn't a normal animal, but also not something a human could muster. I could feel that scream shoot into my body with such intensity that I quite literally shut down from fear. I sat there, frozen, until I heard my grandma smash the porch door open and call out for me. I didn't answer, and she came running over to look down at me on the dock. As she stood there looking at me, confirming I wasn't the culprit to the noise, a massive rock came flying from the trees on the other side of the lake and splashed into the water with a huge aftershock. This time, my grandma shouted for me to get my butt up there, and I felt the will to run return and bolted for her. We locked ourselves in the cottage, and she drew the curtains. She demanded to know what happened, and I explained with tears in my eyes. We sat together in the quiet of the cottage for over an hour, until my family returned from their afternoon of golf. When they got back, my grandma asked me not to tell any of my cousins what happened, as I was the oldest, and I shouldn't just scare them like that. We should keep this to ourselves. It was probably just some teenagers causing mischief, she said with assurance. When I told my dad about it later, he had already heard the grown-up version smoothing it over as nothing and never believed me. My mother, who was not part of this family trip, having divorced many years previous, is Mohawk native and told me stories of monster bears, creatures with skin as hard as stone, and of course the rendition of Sasquatch she heard growing up. She was not concerned by my story, and only commented that we were probably too close to its land, that they meant no harm as long as we didn't come closer. Backyard Bigfoot From Listener I've seen many animals I haven't recognized, and sometimes I put them in the category of unknown creatures. This one was unlike any creature I've ever seen, but I know it must be a Bigfoot. Not long ago, I was in my room with my cat, Tigerstripe, who I'd recently got and named her that because of her tiger stripes on her fur. She's a really chill cat, with the personality of a dog. Anyway, I was in my room reading a book, and randomly lifting my head up to look out the window. Tigerstripe was in the floor, licking herself vigorously. The place was otherwise quiet. Always quiet. I'm the type of person who really doesn't like very loud noises. And I'm glad Tigerstripe doesn't really make much noise. The only time she does is when she's hungry. Getting a bit bored, I decided to get off my bed and go into the backyard to sit there, to get some fresh air in my nose. As usual, Tigerstripe followed me. She always did. Makes me wonder what she'd do if I wasn't around. Off I went, down the stairs, and into the backyard. It was warm. The type of warm I could stand. I rested myself on the chair I've got on the backyard porch. Tigerstripe flies past me, running around as if she's never been outside forever. I smile. The only thing I hear is the sound of vehicles speeding past the occasional sound of scampering little animals trying to flee from my cat, and my breathing. It was the afternoon, about to be evening. I was supposed to have a friend over, but due to some problems in her family, she wasn't able to come and join me. Eventually, my eyes began to feel heavy. I'm not sure why. I had just slept not long before. I started a battle between falling asleep and staying awake. It was hard because I didn't want to fall asleep while Tigerstripe was out and about, running all over the place. What if someone or something comes and takes her away? What if she tried to wake me up but I didn't respond? Even though I tried to fight back the sleepiness, it won out, and I was out like a light. I don't even think it was long before I felt paws on my face. Tigerstripe. I instantly remembered I was watching my cat, and I shot up. It seemed that she was looking relieved that I was awake. But I wasn't relieved. The next thing I knew, 
Tigerstripe started to meow frantically and hissed to her right. I've never heard her hiss like that before. Yeah, she's hissed before, but not in this way. All her fur shot up, as if it was going to fly up in all sorts of directions. Her teeth were fully exposed. I even saw a trickle of drool drip down her mouth as she had the most demonic glare I've ever seen. Something was wrong. Tigerstripe began to move, and something in me told me to follow her. So I did. She soon led me to the right side of the fence. She was frantically looking back at me, then back in that direction, as if to tell me, Do you see that? It's right there. It's right there. But I didn't yet see anything. I know cats can see better than people, but I stay still as Tigerstripe starts to hiss loudly again. Finally, I saw it. This thing, whatever I was looking at, was about seven feet tall. My mind automatically went to Bigfoot, as it matched what a Bigfoot looked like. Tall, hairy, huge. It stared down at my cat. I don't know if it was glaring at her or just taking a look at her because of its hair covering its face. Then it looked up to me. No, it didn't have the cliché glowing eyes people often describe on unknown creatures. It was making this huffing sound, as if it had just run ten miles. Then I remembered I had my shotgun upstairs in my room, but it was too far. At least this Bigfoot began to slowly walk further away from where me and Tigerstripe were, and as it vanished, Tigerstripe began to calm down and walked back into my house quietly. I did the same, this time following her instead of her following me. That night, I thought about all the situations that could have happened there. Maybe the Bigfoot was just there not to bother anyone. Maybe it was hungry and it set its eyes upon my cat to feast upon her. Or to prey upon me. But I'm very thankful it didn't attack. Who knows what would have happened if it did. The Snowstorm From Dutch Vanderlint 5 it was 1987. I lived in a very isolated area, which some can see as a good thing and others see it as a bad thing. I personally find living in an isolated area better than living in the city. You just have so much more freedom, but also much more danger. One of these dangers was wolves that ran past my house on occasion, but I didn't think much of them as I always scared them away with my rifle. A couple of miles down the road is a small village, which I had many friends living in. The elders always told stories of the Yeti. They always said to never go out at night, otherwise the Yeti would catch you. I didn't think much of these stories, as I'd been out hunting at night many times, and I had never seen a white ape-like creature that kills people. One night I'd run out of supplies and went out to hunt a deer. I grabbed my rifle and went out. Once I got what I left for, I began traveling back home with the deer on my back. I was pretty stocky back then, and I did this for many years, so everything was going normally until I noticed something strange. I heard and saw nothing. No deer, no wolves, no bears, no wildlife. And I had this sudden gut feeling that told me I needed to get home as quickly as possible. I listened and when I made it back, I forgot about the feeling pretty quickly. That night, I prepared the deer and cooked some of it. Nice and tasty, and it would keep me fed for a while. A couple of days later, I went out hunting deer again. I went to a spot where I knew a lot of deer gathered to eat, but nothing was there, and as I sat there waiting, nothing came. Suddenly, I got this weird feeling again as if I was being watched. But I needed food, so I stayed a bit longer, hoping and waiting a deer would come. Eventually, I spotted one. I killed it and made my way home. Once again, I prepared the deer, cooked some and ate it, and I put the remaining pieces in my fridge. I decided to go to bed. I woke up a couple of hours later, due to what sounded like ticking on the window. I grabbed my gun and looked around, 
I wanted to go outside and investigate, but my gut feeling was back. It told me that if I went out, I would never see the light of day again. Eventually, I went back to bed, but once I'd laid down again, I saw something through my bedroom window. A hand. Carefully, slowly, and quietly, I walked over to it, and I saw what was out there. A large creature covered in white fur. It saw me as soon as I peered out the window. It had blood all over its mouth. I ran outside and shot at it, but it managed to get away. I think I may have wounded it, as there was a big trail of blood, but I decided not to pursue it, and I got back into my house, unable to sleep the rest of the night. After all, that blood came from somewhere, and if my shot had missed, then that wasn't its blood. If you ever find yourself in the Himalayan mountains at night, beware the Yeti. Pagan Sasquatch from Alice the Slug Queen. I was cherry-picking with a couple of friends. We'll jokingly call them Ben and Jerry. It was the summer of 2015. One night, in between moving to another orchard, we chose to camp somewhere to take a break from the work. We walked into a little-known park in the forest at sunset, so we didn't have much time to find a camping spot. Off the path, we found a nice forested area with an opening in the trees, where the others could fit their tents. There was a couple who joined me and my two friends. Ben and Jerry both offered that I could sleep in their tents, but to avoid any awkwardness, I said I was fine with just my sleeping bag, especially since I didn't notice any bugs around either. That night, we made a little fire along the creekside on the rocks, cooked some canned foods, and drank a little bit of wine. The moonlight was so bright that we didn't even need a fire to see clearly. We walked back into the forest just several meters away and went to sleep. Sometime in the night, I woke up slowly from what sounded like footsteps of a large animal walking down the rocky creekside, closer and closer. The steps got so loud that I started to fear the size of this animal. At this point, I was fully awake. The rocks around there were pretty large, so this thing had to be massive to make those sounds. I assumed it was a bear, and that I'd be okay. Hopefully he would just sniff me and leave, but then I turned over and realized I'd left all my food just sitting out, like the carefree hippie I was. Imagining the bear getting that close to me, I started to panic. I was terrified. At this point, I could hear this animal walking off the rocks and onto the dirt path into the forest where we were camped, just meters away from my feet. I could hear it right freaking there. The moon was bright enough I would have been able to see it if I looked up, as where I lay was directly in line with the path from the forest to the creek. I was ready to run. I thought if I continued to lay here, I'm sure it would hear my heartbeat with the amount of fear I felt. I lifted my head and saw nothing but the moonlight reflecting from the creek. I stuck to the plan and I ran over to Jerry's tent. I screamed for him to help me unzip the tent. I was so freaked out. I cried and we heard nothing out there. Why did I see nothing, I wondered. It should have been right there. I heard it walk for so long, long enough to know it was not a dream. In the morning... My friends found no footprints and didn't believe my story. They said I was dreaming, but I know me. I know what I heard. A dream? Bullcrap. The summer after that, Ben and I were hanging out. I told him I could not stop thinking about that night. I felt drawn to go there again. I wanted to know what I heard and what I should have saw. We drove there one day in the summer of 2016, and before walking into the same forest part that we camped in last year, I told him, I feel like there's something more to this place. We're going to see something else. In the dirt pathway from the creek to our old campsite, exactly where I believed I would have seen the animal, where it sounded like it should have been, there was a large rock with the symbol perhaps burnt into it. I was amazed. I turned around to tell Ben, 
but I saw him focused on rock formations that I walked past without noticing, all in the area where we'd been camping that one night. They were shaped in huge circles and lines. There were also weird little half-dome structures made of sticks all around us, built against the trees. I told Ben I needed to walk in the other area of the forest where we hadn't been. I felt there was something over there. While walking through, I stopped and got a wave of fear. I felt as if we were being watched. We got through the path to another opening in the forest and saw many more little half-dome structures everywhere. There was a rope tied horizontally from one tree to another, with several strings hanging vertically from it, with wire-wrapped stones, and some with dangling bones. On the tree next to this was a long string hanging from a branch of a bag of bones wrapped in gold silk. I touched it before seeing the bones poking out. That was the point that me and Ben both said we need to leave. We both believed we were being watched. We were so intrigued by what we saw we went back a week later, but I brought my friend Wiz who practices paganism. He was curious because of a photo of the same symbol on the rock that I showed him. He said it means a symbol of protection. We got to the camping spot and saw the rock formations had changed since the week before. There were now rose petals covering the ground. We were there for only a few moments before a swarm of mosquitoes thickened the air. It was something I've never seen before. I couldn't help but think we were what someone was trying to protect this area from. I'll never forget the intuition that drove me to that place and led me through it. I'll never forget the sounds of the footsteps of that thing. I know someone else is just as drawn to that place as I am. I don't know if I'll ever understand what really happened. I recently watched the horror film, The Ritual, and inside the house they sleep in that terrifies the characters were the same symbols I saw in that forest. Algi's protection, meaning divine protection, sanctuary, and Othala ancestral, meaning inherited property, genetics. My friend believes in the possibility of this animal being a Sasquatch. Stories have told that these creatures have powers to reveal themselves if they choose to or not. That was the weirdest experience I've ever had, that I'm open to any possible ideas. This episode of the Darkness Prevails podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. In a world where so much can weigh you down, it can be difficult to stay positive. Sometimes happiness is more rare than it should be. Personally, my issues with anxiety and depression leave me lacking energy and motivation throughout the week. Luckily, BetterHelp is there when you need them. BetterHelp can evaluate what you need and match you with a licensed professional therapist. Connect with people that are there for you in a private and safe environment. It's easy, convenient, and you can get started communicating in under 24 hours. Message your counselor whenever you need, and you can even schedule phone or video calls weekly. You don't need to bother sitting in a stress-inducing waiting room. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, too. But there is financial aid available for those that need it. Plus, BetterHelp is open to clients across the globe. Whether you suffer from depression, sleep trouble, grief, stress, or relationship trouble, you're sure to find a counselor to help you with BetterHelp. Start living a happier life today. As a listener of the Darkness Prevails podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month just by visiting betterhelp.com dpp. Join over 1 million people who have taken the brave step forward in managing their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com dpp. Thank you, BetterHelp. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. 
June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Trash Duty from Anomalous Working the closing shift at a Popeye's isn't the hardest thing to do. By 9pm, most customers are gone and few come in leaving us employees an hour of open time to get things ready to close. We were always at our happiest to leave at closing time if we could help it. Luck usually wasn't in my favor, though. I was the newest member of the crew back then, and as such was given dish duty for my first few months. I hated it. It always took me half an hour longer to finish my shift compared to the other employees, and that's if they were working after closing. Plus, I always came home wet from the ribcage down, random bits of soggy, rancid food scraps on my uniform. Once the dishes were done, I'd also have to take the trash to the dumpster, another duty assigned to me. Lucky me. After that, though, I'd be able to call it a night. After clocking out and saying goodnight to the manager, I'd join my girlfriend in the parking lot. We only had one car at the time, and she'd have to come pick me up after work. We're married now and have better jobs, but back then, it was rough. Something happened one night in 2015 that I'll never forget, and it makes me extremely thankful that I no longer work at that Popeyes. Thank God I never had to go back. In fact, that place is no longer a Popeyes. It closed down a few years after this happened. But to describe the setting, the restaurant sat next to the most frequented road in our small town. During the day, it had tons of traffic, but at night, it was dead as could be. That's a small town for you. The most that came through after dark were truckers or out-of-state tourists driving through the night to our relatives. That's probably what made exiting the building to take out the trash every night so suspenseful. The dumpster wasn't too far from the building, sure. It sat just out of range of the drive-thru, covered by wooden fencing so that the big green and stinky receptacle wouldn't be an eyesore to customers. Just beyond the dumpster was a large hardware store, and beyond that was woods. You'd think it wouldn't be so creepy. The hardware store's parking lot was always well lit, as was the main road behind me as I took out the trash, but once you open up that wooden fencing to get to the dumpster, things never felt right. It was cramped. A putrid smell clouded around that was so thick it stuck to your clothing. And the fencing was just tall enough to blot out the lights from every direction. It wasn't even a quick errand either. Usually I'd have to roll two large bins to the dumpster, each filled with four to six disgusting bags of trash and rotting food that often spilled out as you lifted them. Each of these bags had to be lifted out one at a time. There were times I swear I'd hear something moving around in there as I tossed those bags into the dumpster, like something scurrying about, 
I tried to convince myself it was a rat, but I'd seen and heard rats at that dumpster before. Their little clawing sounds were that of a lightweight rodent, but this sound in particular was like I'd startled something much larger and forced it to stay quiet until I was gone. Raccoons, I'd tell myself, or possums, whichever idea helped me keep my head on my shoulders to make it through the night. I wasn't the only one that heard those noises either. The other employees had told stories of the dumpster being haunted. Yeah, you heard that right, a haunted dumpster. How a dumpster specifically can be haunted, I have no idea. But upon hearing those noises long enough, any 20-something young guy might come to believe it. This made my nightly trek to the dumpster an event. One of terror and hurriedness. I like to believe that my nerves were on edge, simply because I was about to be able to clock out and finally head home. But I knew something was wrong back there. At the back of my mind, I knew all of this was going to lead to something happening. But I didn't know when, and I hoped to all heavens that it wouldn't happen to me. It did. It was a cold January night. A bit of black ice remained on the asphalt about town, forcing every outside trek to be one of caution and hesitance. As the trash piled up throughout the day, my co-workers refused to take out any of the bins. I knew my trash duty that night would be precarious too. By 9pm, my peers were starting their nightly cleanup duties, and I was able to start on the mountainous mound of dishes early in the back room. Yet, more and more dishes would arrive to replace the ones I cleaned, so it seemed I wasn't making any progress until after 10pm, when my coworkers began to clock out. By 10.40pm, the dishes were done. I was soaked to my very bones, and all that remained to be done was the trash. The only people left in the building by then, as usual, were my manager and I. The manager couldn't leave until the rest of us were gone, or ready to go, and the cash in the till was completely accounted for. It was nice to not have to be entirely alone, I guess. But she wasn't very much of a talkative person after closing. Probably wanted to get home as much as I did. So I began to herd the bins outside the back door. That was the process. Gather them all up outside first, then escort them across the short way to the dumpster. I was thankful the roads were empty as I slipped over black ice about three times, getting just two bins over to the dumpster. I scraped my left elbow pretty bad. It was an irritating night soon to get worse. I hadn't even begun lifting the latch to the gate to the fencing around the dumpster before I heard it. The scuffling sound. A heavy but dampened sound of an animal walking around the dumpster. Immediately, I visualized something about the size of a Malamute. Something with weight and deliberateness to it. Unlike the quick and often aimless scamper of raccoons or possums following the scent of food and decay. Whatever it was, it hadn't heard me yet. The footsteps continued, slowly circling the dumpster. I assumed this thing had jumped the fence and was in search of food, dropped around the edges. This was a frequent occurrence, unfortunately. Some customers decided not to use the trash cans provided on the outside of the store, and would drive up and attempt to toss their food and trash over the fencing and into the dumpster. Keep in mind, the dumpster lids were closed much of the day, so they didn't know or didn't care that their food would just land and slide off the dumpster surface. I swallowed down a bit of trepidation, and I lifted the latch. The instant I did, the footsteps stopped. The thing didn't scurry away or hide or anything like that. The sounds just stopped, as if waiting. I slowly opened the fencing and peered around the edge of it, left and right, nothing strange just inside the front of the dumpster. That was enough for me. I threw open the left lid of the dumpster 
and started tossing trash inside. One bag, two bags, three, four, five bags. The first bin was empty. I rotated the bins and started on the second. One bag, two bags. But then, as I lifted the third out of the bin and turned back to the dumpster to throw it in, I gasped and dropped the trash bag. Something had jumped from the back of the dumpster into the open side. I couldn't breathe for a moment. I had to remind myself to take in air. When I finally did, I nearly choked. Did I really just see that? If something jumped into the dumpster, that meant it was right in front of me. Nothing but a rusty dumpster wall between us. My mind raced and I somehow convinced myself I'd simply been seeing things. But I had to be sure. I decided I would quietly and quickly take a look over the edge of the dumpster just to see what was inside. One step forward and I stood as close to the dumpster as I could. On my toes, I stretched my neck over Slowly, I peeked inside. First, I saw typical food and mold and miscellaneous trash scattered about the back wall. I kept stretching further, my vision making its way to the front wall. Soon, I could make out something with jet black fur, soaked as I was, and it was breathing slowly. The movement of its breaths was extremely subtle. I couldn't even hear it and at the time I couldn't be sure if it wasn't just some hobo covering himself in a throw. Just a bit more I stretched over, revealing more of what I hoped was anything than what it turned out to be. But the moment my sight revealed more of it, a face burst forth from the rubbish towards me, something elongated and animalistic, flat teeth at the front, and eyes that gleamed yellow from the faint light that leaked through the one opening in the fence. A squeal filled the air. <coughs> A mix of my own scream and the cry of this thing that had burst forth from the dumpster reverberated around me. I fell to the ground as this jet-black mass the size of a large dog with extremely short legs and long, thin strands of fur sticking out of its back like needles leapt over me, landing clumsily to my side between the fencing and the dumpster. The thing was more than half my size. I continued screaming as I picked myself up. The creature made a mad dash at me as I slammed the fence opening shut and locked the latch. It clawed at the wood for a moment before scurrying around to the back. I watched the fencing, listening to it move around. Mistakenly, I assumed the creature was locked inside now. I failed to realize that it had been visiting this dumpster for a while, with no need for the gate to be open. When I heard a wet thump of that thing falling to the ground after crawling over the fence, my heart felt as if it imploded. It was no longer locked inside, and the sound of its footsteps circling around the fence meant it was coming my way. I jumped from the curb onto the asphalt that lined the drive-thru, but as I mentioned before, patches of black ice covered the asphalt all around. My run broke down into a sliding fall as I awkwardly struggled to bring myself to my feet again. Tears fell from my eyes as I gained no ground. Then, flat but powerful teeth gripped into my shoe just missing my flesh. I struggled harder throwing an arm at the half-full bin next to me. Finally, I was able to pick myself up, but the bin fell from my weight as the last two remaining trash bags fell to the ground out of it. I ran to the back door, looking back only for a moment once I'd made it inside, just before closing the door completely. All I saw was one of the full trash bags being pulled around the fence and needle-like hairs disappearing around the corner. Running for my manager, I was able to stutter out an explanation. Something attacked me, I said, 
showing her the tear in my black, non-slip shoes. She went outside to investigate with a flashlight. Found nothing. She came back in and told me to be careful of scavenging animals next time. She explained that possums and the like can be dangerous if they feel cornered. It was then that I wanted to say it was obviously no possum, but I caught myself. Because I knew I'd sound insane and unbelievable if I explained everything in detail. Taking a deep breath, I simply told her that the trash still wasn't done, but I was going home anyway. She wrote me up for not finishing my closing duties, but I clocked out just the same and waited in the dark lobby for my girlfriend to arrive with the car. The idea of going outside again terrified me. My girlfriend was late, having just gotten off of a closing shift herself. She, I was comfortable telling everything to. When I got in the car and explained, she believed me, especially having shown her my shoe. We circled around the dumpster through the parking lot in the back, trying to catch a glimpse of something or anything, but all that remained was spilled trash. Not long after that, I got two more write-ups for failing to complete my closing tasks in a timely manner, and I was therefore fired. I'd never failed to complete anything until that incident. I guess the manager didn't like that I begged other co-workers to at least help me with the trash, but no one would take me up on the offer. That's fine. I don't miss it there. You can call me crazy, but I have no idea what I saw back there. I sincerely hope it was some deformed or mangy dog, desperate for the food left over from the trash I brought out every night. Otherwise, I've got no idea what else it could be without delving into theories that border on irrational. But after what I saw, would thinking that I encountered some sort of monster really be anything less than rational? Please let me know if I'm crazy. Have you ever seen anything like this yourself? I can't get over what happened, and never having closure to this situation has been really stressful to me. If you have any theories, I'm open to hearing them. Creepy McDonald's Night Shift From Kevin Eleven I was young and fresh out of high school. I needed work, so I sent in resumes to all sort of entry-level positions. I got a few responses. I settled on McDonald's because it was an easy commute. Plus, the employee discount was pretty cool. The only position they had was a night shift, 10pm to 6am. I'm fine with that because I was already a night owl. The first few days working there were fine. I wasn't working the counter or anything, just doing back-end stuff and cleanup. Our building was in a little strip mall off a highway exit. It's the only place there that's open at night, but we get a decent amount of customers, most of which go through the drive-thru. On the Friday of my second week working there, or maybe it was a really early Saturday morning at that point, I'm not sure, it was just late. I remember I was grabbing the stacked trays from the lobby when someone walked in through the doors. It was a woman. She was really tall and pretty, made up super fancy in a long dress with high heels. She was wearing a big hat too. Eccentric, not your average McDonald's customer. But what was weird was that I never saw a car pull up. We have a full view of the parking lot from the window, but no car ever dropped her off. She must have walked here. I smiled at her as I walked by and headed behind the counter. I bent down to restack the trays below, expecting my coworker standing at the register to serve her. He didn't say anything, though, and after I'd finished, I stood up to find out why the girl wasn't ordering anything. But she wasn't there when I looked up. I never heard the door open. She was just gone. I asked the guy on the till where the girl went, and he replied, Who? I said the girl with the hat, and he just looked at me like I was dumb, telling me he had no clue who I was talking about. So I tried to rationalize it, 
deciding she had probably stepped in the door, took a look at our grubby menu and left. But something was weird about the whole thing. It didn't really make sense why someone who looked and dressed like that would be at a random McDonald's in the middle of the night. Whatever, the shift went on normally for the next hour. Then I remember taking a break after cleaning the toilets. I sat down on a chair in the back near the kitchen when I heard heels clicking on the floor. It was quite audible, louder than if someone was just walking. It sounded like stomping, sort of. So I peer out into the lobby. My coworker was gone from the front. I figured he went to take his break, but you know who I do see. That same woman. Only this time someone was with her. A man. He wore a tuxedo with fancy black shoes. They were dancing together, like full-on ballroom dancing in the lobby. Swinging back and forth, it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. I remember watching them for a bit, mesmerized, before I took my place behind the register. I said something along the lines of, uh, can I help you? They both looked at me at the same time. As they stared, I felt a hand grab my shoulder with a firm grip. Instinctually, I turned around. No one was there. I knew someone had touched me, but there wasn't anyone, so I spun back to the lobby where the people were to find them both gone. The man and the woman had just vanished. Once again, I didn't hear doors open or close. I didn't hear their fancy shoes skid on the floor. They were just there one minute and gone the next. For the rest of the night, only a few small things happened. At one point, I walked by the washrooms on my way to do something, to find both doors swinging, the male and female ones, like someone had just crashed through both of them. A little while later, I remember looking for something on the shelves in the back near the employee entrance, and something banged on the door, hard. Something heavy hit it, and only once. I remember opening it, looking around, and seeing no one. After that, the shift was regular. Really not much to say. I was really happy when I finally got off, though. The first bits of sunlight had just begun to come over the horizon as I left for my car. I was punching out ten minutes before I was supposed to, but I didn't think the people coming in would care. As I hit the parking lot, though, I see a car. It looked like a small limousine. It was just sitting there in front of the restaurant. Through the light from the street lamp, I could make out the doors opening. Two people got out, one on each side of the car. It was the man and the woman I'd seen before. The same people that were dancing. Only their appearance had changed. Their clothes seemed torn and ragged. I could see the woman's dress clearly because it was white. It was covered in dirt with holes and tears. And their faces... Their faces were terrifying, their skin was bleach white, and their eyes, which were previously normal, were this beady black, like oversized bugs were looking at me. I stood there, frozen as I looked at them. Then the man spoke in a deep, filtered voice that seemed to echo from all around me. Would you mind a ride? We have room for one Shaking my head was all I could muster. Without another word, the two people, if you can call them that, got into their car, shut the doors, and pulled away. None of their lights were on. I watched wide-eyed as the limo drove down the road before disappearing into the darkness of the early morning. I can never look at McDonald's the same way again. From Aardvark Sketches. I'm from India, and I'd recently moved to the UK for my undergraduate studies. 
The college life seemed to thrill me, and along with it came the ultimate decision of a part-time job. I preferred the library, and being an avid reader myself, I embraced the thought of sitting in a warm, cozy desk huddled next to a fire. But as fate had it, the job applications were closed the minute they opened, as the librarian would not be resigning after all. Following endless hours of moping around, mourning over my short-lived glory, my roommate handed me a brochure stating a new job opening for a part-time worker at a local McDonald's. I furrowed my brows. How far is it? I questioned to her, to which she replied. It's a two-minute walk down Pembroke Street, then take a left. A few months later, I'd started getting used to the job, and I was able to differentiate between the customers that were frequent and those that rarely showed themselves around here. We had the usual crazies and Karens, but nothing I couldn't handle. Although the thing I met yesterday made these guys seem like whining toddlers. I was completing my usual shift at around 9pm as this car rolled in. There was nothing weird about the car itself. The couple inside were lovely and ordered two Big Macs, chicken nuggets, and some french fries. While I put their order together, I noticed a man standing near the trees away from the outlet. Odd, I thought. Many people usually avoid that area, as it gave off some creepy vibes, with tall spindle-like trees and the resounding of howls from wolves. I looked back towards my packaging containers and packed the remaining items, brushing any leftovers into the trash can. Turning towards the couple, I noticed that the man in the distance has now gone, almost as if he had vanished into thin air. Paying no heed, thinking that he probably went to take a leak, I handed the couple their package. I slid my hatch down out of habit, locking it, only to look through the window to receive a heart attack. Attached to the back of their car was the man. It was almost as if he had glued himself to it. I probably shouldn't refer to this creature as him at this point. It was crouched in a grotesque position, turning its head ever so slightly to see me staring at it, awestruck. The next thing that happened caught me off guard. The creature leapt off the car and onto my window pane as I screamed, tumbling into the empty fry container. It smiled a sinister smile. No human should be able to smile like that. It opened its mouth wide as saliva dripped down from its rotting teeth. I stood there, shivering and whimpering for what seemed like forever. The creature then emitted a shrill screech and bound off into the trees. I quickly grabbed my car keys and ran to my car, not wanting to be there any longer. Needless to say, I've never been to a McDonald's since then. Domino's Scare from Anonymous This happened a few months ago as of writing this. For some context, if we have any mess-up pizzas at the store or orders that never got picked up, we'd give them to homeless people if they popped in. There was one particular homeless man who everyone knew and we were all friendly with. Let's call him James. I was about an hour into my 5 to 10 shift when he popped in for some pizza. We didn't have anything to give him at the moment, so he just said thanks and walked out. After that, everything was going fine until about 9.30. We heard the bell, signifying that the door had opened. I looked at the man who walked in and my stomach dropped. It was James, but something was wrong. He was bent over slightly, clutching his stomach. I walked over to the counter to ask if he was alright when I saw a dark red stain on his shirt. One of the other employees, I'll call Mike, rushed over to him and helped him sit down on the bench. For context, Mike was training to become an EMT. Mike began to check on him, asking him all sorts of questions. James pulled back his hand to reveal a slit in his shirt, as well as a small bleeding puncture wound. Mike went to the back office to get the first aid kit and began to patch James up. As he was being taken care of, James told us what happened. Apparently, he had been walking around close to our little strip mall when three men mugged him. He fought back, and in return, they stabbed him with what looked like a nail. After they took everything of value he had, they laughed. He stumbled over to our dominoes in hopes that he would get some help. 
We called an ambulance, and they took him to the hospital to check up on him. I couldn't stop thinking about what happened for the rest of my shift. After I clocked out at around 11, I was walking out to my car when I had the strangest feeling of being watched. I got to my car when I felt it again, as if someone was watching my every move. I did a quick 360 without seeing anyone. Then I did another just to be sure. That's when I saw them, a group of three people in the middle of the parking lot, all in dark clothing. They weren't under a lamp, so I couldn't tell what they looked like, except for the fact that all three were staring right at me. We looked at each other for what seemed like forever, when I finally broke eye contact and got in my car. As soon as I closed the door, I locked the doors and turned on the engine. I glanced back in their direction one last time, and what I saw made me drive home at least ten over the whole way. They were gone. Not a trace of them being there in the first place. I didn't understand how in the three seconds I wasn't looking they could have crossed the parking lot to hide behind anything. There weren't any other cars near where they were. After I got home, it took me a while to fall asleep. That's only part of it. The scary thing is that just recently one of our drivers has started noticing that she was being followed by someone. The way she described it, whenever she would see them it was always one person, but this would rotate between three tall men in dark clothing. Her tires were slashed just yesterday, and it scares me to think that the people who stabbed our homeless friend might now be stalking our drivers. <laughs>